nearing our, the end of our series in 1 Thessalonians. Our text this evening is 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 21 through 22. I'll back up to verse 19 as I read our text this evening. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. As the case is true with many things in life, moderation is key. Moderation means using something in a reasonable way. It means avoiding extremes. And uh, moderation ought to characterize such things as how we eat, both how much we eat and what we eat. That's just one illustration. But moderation also ought to characterize how much we work and play. Uh, too much of both is not good, too much work and you have burnout, too much play and you're not going to meet your responsibilities. And such moderation also ought to characterize our spiritual lives. Living in expectation of Christ's coming, and that's been a theme of First Thessalonians. Uh, the, the people to whom Paul is writing had some wrong ideas about Christ's coming and what it means to live in expectation of his coming, of what it means to watch and pray. And uh, living in expectation of his coming doesn't mean quitting your job and working 18 hours a day doing evangelism. And serving Christ in the church doesn't mean that you have to teach a, a Sunday school class for 10 years without a break. Right? In all things, we need to pace ourselves. And as we think about the text before us this evening, sometimes it is in response to false doctrine that people will overreact and go to an extreme for instance, since history has shown, talking about church history in particular, since it has shown that false doctrine often comes into the church through its hymns, some have overreacted by saying that, well, then we should only sing psalms. More recently, there are those within the circles of what are called, of, of what is called federal vision, people who are distorting the doctrine of justification by faith, who try to say that the definition, the understanding of faith needs to be modified to include works in it. And a part of the reason why people are trying to bring works into salvation, into the def very de definition of faith, is because they are reacting to something that they see going on in the church. What they see are people who they say are justified, who, are, who would say they are saved Christians, but are not living a life of good works. Of course, that's a legitimate concern. Jesus himself said that such people are hypocrites. They're not true believers because good works are an evidence of true justification. And that is why the scriptures speak, for example, of us being judged on judgment day according to our works. You see, how we live is proof of whether or not we have a living relationship of faith with the Lord Jesus. And this truth should be preached. But what is not good is when people overreact to a problem and end up making false doctrine the solution. And in the case of justification by faith, some have overreacted by saying that works need to be a part of the ground of our justification. That's what's happened with federal vision. And trying to stress the importance of good works in the Christian life, they have gone overboard and have made our works a part of what actually grants us favor with God. And so this is just one of many examples of how moderation is important. 
And this is something that the church in Thessalonica needed to learn, something that our church needs to always keep in mind as well. If you can recall the verses that we considered last time, you will remember that the church there in Thessalonica was being told to not quench the spirit. They were being commanded, do not quench the spirit. That's verse 19. Next commandment of verse 20 tells us what specific form this quenching was taking in the Thessalonian church. In the form of it was professing believers who were despising prophecies. To despise prophecies means that they were not accepting God's word as it was coming to them through God's servants. Of course, you know, looking back to the particular time in church history of this church in Thessalonica, this was a time in which there were prophets and there was extra biblical prophecy because the scriptures were not completed. And so to despise prophecies means to not accept God's word as it was coming to the people of God in uh, that particular way at that particular time. And since the Holy Spirit works in the church through God's word, to despise prophecies means rejecting the Holy Spirit's work, um, rejecting his influence in the church, to reject his prophets, to in that way reject his word, is to stifle, to quench, to put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. And last time we also considered what may have been some of the reasons for this despising of prophecy. And uh, one of the reasons suggested was that perhaps there were false teachers who had come on the scene claiming to proclaim God's word and people had been misled. Perhaps uh, there was even great spiritual harm that had taken place. And so it is that Hendrickson in his commentary on 1 Thessalonians, um, he explains along these very same lines, why he thinks that the Thessalonians despised prophecies and why they needed to be told to to stop doing this. And uh, he says this, he writes, the reason for this disparagement of prophetical utterances can readily be surmised. Wherever God plants wheat, Satan sows his tares. Wherever God establishes a church, the devil erects a chapel. And so, too, wherever the Holy Spirit enables certain men to perform miracles of healing, the evil one distributes his lying wonders. Wherever the paraclete brings a true prophet upon the scene, the deceiver presents his false prophet. The easiest, but not the wisest, reaction to the state of affairs is to despise all prophesying, end quote. So, so far I've been talking about one of two possible extreme positions that the church of Thessalonica Thessalonica needed to avoid with respect to prophecies. I'm talking about the overreaction, overreaction of despising all prophecies because of the reality that some of them are false. This is called throwing out the baby with the bathwater. There's a second possible overreaction that is just as foolish, and that would be to accept all prophecies. When God says through the The Apostle Paul, do not despise prophecies. He's not saying that every single purported prophecy is to be welcomed as gospel truth. Despising all prophecies and accepting all prophecies are both dangerous extremes and are not the moderate biblical approach that church members, including you and me, ought to take. Which brings us then to the commands of verses 21 and 22 Commands that are given in order that um, both extremes that I've just talked about would be avoided. The, the Lord says to us, the Holy Spirit says to us, 
here in verse 21, test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. The idea is that we must test what we hear in order to know if it is of God. Is the message that we are hearing truly God's word or not? The purpose of this testing is contained right here in the words of the apostle. We must determine what is good so that we can hold on to it. And we must determine what is evil in order that we may stay away from it. And the way that we test all things is through the word of God. The way we know if something is good or evil is to compare it to the standard as God has revealed it in his word. So having introduced the main ideas, I want to have us consider verses 21 and 22 under the theme testing all things or testing everything. And uh, the three points will be what, what it means, what is involved in testing all things, um, and then why we test all things, how we test all things. So what, why, and how. It's evident from the command to hold fast what is good that there is prophecy that is good, right? Not all of it is bad. It is also evident from the command to abstain from every form of evil that there is prophecy that is evil. Not all of it is good. Both true and false prophecy exist. And both come to you and me as members of the church And so it is important that we know the difference. And this is where the need for testing comes in. The command here for us to test everything implies the reality of false teachers. You must not be a naive Christian who is ready and willing to believe everything you hear. But to the contrary, you must be one who evaluates and judges what you are taught. Peter's words are just as relevant today as they were in his day. I'm referring to 2 Peter to one where he says, but false teachers also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in <coughs> destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. You must not imagine that false teachers will never come to this church. It may be uh, that it may be the case that a false teacher never actually steps foot in, in, in this church, but that doesn't mean that our church is not in danger. False teachers come to you and me in so many different forms in our day and age. First, we have all kinds of books and magazines and, and all forms of writings. We also have the airwaves of radio. We have television. We have the Internet. We have the computer. False, teaching, false teachers are able to get out their false doctrine, their, their false teachings, in many different ways, many effective ways. And don't imagine that you are somehow exempt from their influences. No, even you and I must test everything. This command that we test everything also implies the reality of our willingness to be taken in by false teachers. According to 2 Timothy 4, false teachers are often invited into the church by those who willingly hear them, so Paul warns Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, For the time is coming when men will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You and I must never underestimate the reality of such false teachers and of our own sinful tendency to welcome them with open arms. 
And for these reasons, it's appropriate to say that testing everything means not only testing what we are told, but also testing ourselves as to why we like or do not like a particular message. Perhaps it's an article in the New Horizons magazine or a message from this pulpit, an article considered in Sunday school, a message on the radio. Whatever the source of instruction may be, we should always have our ears, our eyes wide open. And you've probably had it happen where there was something you read or heard and it didn't quite sit right with you. It could be that you were listening carefully and noticed something that wasn't biblical. If you have that ability, if, if suddenly something doesn't sound right to you, that, that is very possibly a good thing. But it could, also, it, it could also happen that you simply don't like what you heard. It's not a good thing when you are critical of a message because it is confronting an area of weakness or rebellion in your life. So hearing something false and hearing something offensive, those are two entirely different things. But testing everything means looking for falsehood, but also accepting the truth. When God says something in his word, you ought to love it dearly. You ought to accept it. The Lord wants you to know, to seek after, and hold on to that truth, even when the truth is painful to perhaps your sense of pride or self-worth. And not only must we be people of discernment, who have the ability to figure out truth from falsehood, but also those who actually take the time and put forth the effort to make such judgments. Testing everything is not easy. It means being alert. Uh, We might say it means being paranoid. (laughs) And uh, this is not always a comfortable, pleasant way to live, but it's the safe way. For instance, it would be nice to be able to read Christian books and magazines, to listen to a podcast, listen to the radio, to watch something on television, and to, to assume that everything you are taught from, uh, from a, a Christian teacher or pastor can just be swallowed, hook, line, and sinker. In other words, it would be great if we could assume correctly that a particular pastor or Bible teacher or author is always going to interpret Scripture correctly. And wouldn't it be nice if we could just shut down our brains and just accept everything that we are told? Sadly, there are plenty of Christians who do this very thing. It's the easy thing to do. After all, it takes effort to think, to use our brains, to evaluate. It takes time and effort to compare what you are being taught with Scripture. And to do this testing requires you to know the Scriptures. To test everything requires you to search and to study the Scriptures. Teaching, uh, testing false doctrine often means dealing with issues that, frankly, are not always easy to figure out right away. The devil can be very subtle in, in his, uh, his attacks on the church. And, frankly, a lot of Christians don't want to put forth the time and effort to figure out what is the truth. And, and I think some are afraid that if they think too deeply about the truth, if they dig too deeply into the scriptures, they're going to find that there are ways of thinking and, and living that are going to have to change. And if we're honest, you and I are not always comfortable with change. It can be stressful, and so the easy, comfortable thing to do is to live in ignorance. But God says, test everything. You must know what you believe and why. So why is this testing so important? What is its purpose? Paul writes, test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. You must test all things because that is the way to find out what is good and what is evil. 
By knowing good from evil, you can then hold on to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. And what is implied is that without testing all things, you may be very well holding on to evil and throwing away what is good, the opposite of what you should be doing. It should be obvious, but as Christians, we are to love what is good. We are to hate what is evil. And what is good is what God says is good. What is good is what is in accord with his will and word. Teaching and behavior that brings glory to God is good. And such good we ought to be pursuing. And the scripture teaches that in all things, and even the trivial things of eating and drinking, we, we are to do all to the glory of God. On the other hand, evil is anything and everything that is opposed to God and his way and his truth and his will. And so for God's sake, as well as for your own spiritual good, you and I want to, to have nothing to do with evil. This is what the text means when it says to abstain from every form of evil. That word abstain is a very strong word in the Greek. It is the same word that Paul uses back in chapter 4, verse 3, when he tells the believers in Thessalonica, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And to abstain from sexual immorality means giving it no place in your life. The idea is that as a believer, you are to hold off from it, that you are to keep clear from it, you are to avoid it. And now here in chapter 5, verse 22, you and I are told that we are to abstain not only from sexual immorality, but from every form of evil. The scope of this command is not limited to any one form of evil. All forms of evil are to be avoided. There is a prevalent misinterpretation of this verse, of this particularly verse 22, that is due in part to the translation of the old King James Version, which reads, abstain from all appearance of evil. And uh, this is not a wrong translation, but the word appearance is not the best choice of words because it is, I think, often misunderstood. And um, it's taken to mean that we are to avoid anything that even looks like evil. And so we are told that we are not to do anything that looks like evil to someone who may be watching, even if it's not evil. Which, if you think about it, that means ruling our lives according to what other people think rather than by what we know is right. So Gordon Clark in his commentary gives the examples of, for example, a, a wife going into a saloon in order to retrieve her drunk husband. Um, if, if we were to understand this to say avoid all appearance of evil, she wouldn't even be allowed to go in there to get her husband out. Or a man, a longtime friend, kisses a widow whose husband had died only yesterday. Or a minister receives a letter in the mail asking if he might visit a certain address and he goes there and he finds no one home. He finds out later that the house had been raided by the police the day before. Um, all these are instances in which an innocent person might appear to be doing something evil, but wasn't, and in some cases can't even possibly avoid the appearance. Um, so the Greek could be translated, avoid every appearance of evil, but if so, it needs to be understood that the Greek word that's translated appearances is referring to real, actual evil, something that's truly evil, that shows itself outwardly. So in some, the Holy Spirit is saying, avoid every possible way that evil can expose itself or make an appearance in your life. 
And so every form of evil is really a better translation. Literally, you must, from every form of evil, hold off, abstain from it. On the other hand, you are to hold fast what is good. You must push away the evil. You must, as you do so, grab a hold of what is good and not let it go. And this is to be, this good must be a continual part of your life. We notice that this command to test everything flows immediately out of the command to not despise prophecies. And so it's also true that the good and evil is, is first and foremost good and evil prophecy or good and evil teaching that is to be evaluated. And yet the Holy Spirit does not seem to have limited the instruction here to only the realm of prophecy. Test everything is an expression that seems hardly capable of being limited to testing only prophecies. What is good? And every form of evil also indicate a broad application. Every possible human behavior, all teaching, all values and morals, all thoughts and beliefs, all things that are presented to us that could become a part of our lives must first be tested. Famous philosopher Plato defined education as teaching someone to love what is good and to hate what is evil. Um, pretty wise words, but of course the next question that needs to be asked is this, what is good and what is evil? How do we know? And uh, what Plato and other pagan philosophers thought was good and evil, um, their thoughts are going to be very different from one another and from what many others think. Everyone seems to have a different idea. Uh, for many in our day and age, what is good is what makes you feel good. Um, but what about when what that person likes to do hurts you? To use an extreme example, what if the person is a serial killer and he likes to kill people? Does that make killing good because he feels good about what he does? Based on that, that example, there are many people who agree that just because person likes to do something doesn't make it right. So then how do we define what is good and what is evil? Is what is good what is best for society as a whole? That's a common thought that many have adapted uh, into their thinking today, and yet many end up disagreeing about, well, what is best for society? Um, today many debate the question whether homosexual marriages are good for society. Others debate questions related to abortion and critical race theory and capital punishment. How do we know what is best? Without a standard, like the word of God, these decisions and, and judgments that are being made become a matter of personal opinion. But for us as believers, we have that standard by which to judge everything, to test everything. We have a standard that tells us what is good and what is evil. That standard is God's written word revealed to us in the Bible. And the way to test everything is not to ask, well, what do I like or what do I think is best? But the way to test all things is to ask, what does God say in his word I should like? What does God say in his word that is best? Everything is to be evaluated in the light of God's word. What you think, what you say, what you believe, what you do. It should be apparent that if this testing is going to be done like it should, you need to know God's word. You can't test things according to a standard if you don't know the standard. 
He must, through diligence in reading the scriptures, studying the scriptures, hearing the scriptures preached, come to know its principles and its teachings. He must put forth the effort to be always learning and growing in your knowledge of God and his word. It should also be said that to be able to use the Bible to test everything, you need to have more than just a head knowledge of the facts of Scripture. You need to have a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ, a relationship where the Holy Spirit is alive and working in your mind and heart. To rightly test everything, it's not enough to just read the Bible for moral guidance. There are many Americans who live moral lives because they know the, the, the Ten Commandments and other teachings of the Bible, but they also think that by abstaining uh, from what the Bible calls evil, they are going to escape the coming judgment of sin. The fact of the matter is that evil does not only take the form of behavior, it also takes the form of wrong beliefs. And included in these wrong beliefs is the idea that we can earn our own way to heaven. Included in these wrong beliefs is the idea that we have the inherent, inherent ability to know God and to know ourselves and to take care of ourselves spiritually. These are evil beliefs truth is that we are born into this world spiritually dead, which means that in one way or another we are, going, we are going to naturally distort the truth of God's word to our own destruction. On our own, we cannot ultimately and consistently know what is good and what is evil. When the unbelievers can read the Bible and they can comprehend the value of following God's moral commandments, and yet they are going to fall prey to many false ideas and doctrines. Our sin nature, the devil, uh, they both have a way of making what is evil appear good. In other words, without the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit, you and I are not going to be able to test all things in the light of God's word and arrive at the right conclusions. Only by God's grace can we know good from evil. Only by God's grace changing our hearts and minds can we read God's word and understand the truth in a saving way. And Jesus died on the cross so that we don't have to go through life in spiritual darkness, always learning but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. Jesus Christ died to free us from the spiritual dominion of the devil and from a kingdom that is called the kingdom of darkness because it's a kingdom of lies. It's because of Jesus that we can know the truth and live in accordance with it. And his work of grace if you know this work of grace in your own heart, giving you an understanding of spiritual things, this demands a response of gratitude. And he wants you out of love for him to test everything in order that your life may be in every way what he wants it to be. Hold fast to what is good. Again, not to save yourself, but to thank Jesus who paid the debt of your sin on the cross. Abstain from every form of evil, not because this is the way to earn salvation, but because evil is the opposite of everything that your Savior is and wants from you. Do you love Jesus Christ? Are you thankful for his work of salvation? If so, you're going to love his spirit. You're going to love his word. You're going to love his word of truth. Holy Spirit is also called in Scripture not only a Holy Spirit, but the Spirit of truth. You will test all things because you want to truly know Jesus, the way of salvation, and you want to know how you can please him in all areas of your life.
Amen. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you and your grace would enable us to keep these commandments of testing everything by which to hold fast what is good and to abstain from every form of evil. Lord, give us a knowledge of your word. We thank you that you have given us your word, that you've given us your spirit who enables us to understand it correctly, uh, that we might know how to apply this word to our lives, that we may truly understand what is good as well as what is evil. Lord, give us, we pray, a greater understanding of your word, that we would be able to test everything in, in a proper way. Lord, uh, we pray that you would spare us from the, the false doctrine, the false prophecies that exist all around us in our day and age. Lord, that you would spare us from the spiritual destruction that comes through false doctrine, uh, that you would spare us from behavior and thinking that displeases you. Lord, uh, we pray that uh, we would be people who are clearly not quenching the Spirit, people who love true prophecy and who are testing everything that we can uh, decipher what is worth keeping and what is worth throwing away. Uh, so, Lord, protect us. We pray that uh, your truth would be written upon our hearts, that we would live it out in all that we think, say, and do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.